Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans. Before we welcome our guest today, we want to tell you a little bit about week three of the gear giveaway. Ben, what do we got? So we have a ton of free gear. We've given away a few pieces already to lucky winners from week one and week two, but we're still doing it in week three, and the way that you can win is by sharing one of our episodes on Facebook. Just make sure you tag us when you do it, and you'll be entered to win. Sounds great, Ben. Back to the interview. Welcome to Mountain Meister, everybody. This is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today on the show, we have Ian Wood. Ian is a professional backcountry snowboarder from Maltby a small town at the foothills of the Cascades in Washington State. In addition to professional snowboarding, Ian works as an Alaskan fisherman and medical marijuana farmer. Employing a work-hard, play-hard philosophy, Ian has traveled around the world in search of snow. So, Ian, you were telling us before that your favorite quote is, dream as if you will live forever, live as if you will die tomorrow. So if you die tomorrow, at least you can say that you spent a half hour with Russell and Ben. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Before we dive into, you know, your snowboarding career and everything else that's going on with you, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And then also we want to know some details on the jobs that you actually do to support your snowboarding. Yeah, no problem. I just thoroughly love the mountains and being outdoors and doing whatever I have to do to be outside and and be free to do what I want to do when I want to do it. The last five years, I've been working really hard just to make my years do what I want to do as much as I can. So that's been my focus. And in the last couple of years, it's been perfect. And I haven't had to work very much. I've worked super hard. But during the year, I've been able to travel a lot and see so many places that I never thought I would even see. Yeah, the, the work supports the snowboarding, so I think it's only logical if we talk about that first, and then we'll move on to your snowboarding career and the great things you're doing there. And Alaskan fisherman sounds just like a really, really cool job. Cooler, I think, than marijuana farming and professional <laughs> snowboarding. Please tell me about this. What kind of fish are you are you going for? And Crabs. Remember, remember the show? <laughs> what was the show called? The, uh, Deadliest Catch. Deadliest Catch. Nice. <laughs> No, uh, actually, I'm out of a place called Bristol Bay, which is just above where the Aleutian Islands come out of Alaska, and it's the biggest sockeye salmon run in the world. You, you're never out at sea like the show that you, on TV, <laughs> uh, you always can see land, and I'm on a 33-foot long boat. I have three other crew members, one deck boss, captain, and another deckhand, and we're fishing for salmon. And we use a net that's about four football fields long. Wow. And it hangs about 15 feet down. It has cork, a cork line at the top and a lead line at the bottom. And basically you roll the net out and the fish swim in and get stuck. And then you bring it back in and pick them all out. And uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. But uh, <laughs> that's basically the gist of it. It's a little over a month long and you have maybe a two-week, three-week peak where you're working really hard and then 
the rest of the time you're what we call scratch fishing and not getting a ton of fish but it's a great job i it's the hardest work i've ever done and i love it and my captain's awesome he's an old norwegian who's been fishing his whole life back to hunting seals in norway and (laughs) fishing every kind of fish there is basically and he's been in bristol bay for 30 years he's 68 years old he sleeps less than all of us and works harder than all of us he's an amazing captain to work for and i love the job i look forward to it and i say it's the perfect amount of time to be miserable (laughs) very cool yeah this guy sounds like the fishing meister but we'll talk about that later (laughs) do you like salmon or do you kind of get sick of salmon eating it i actually love it and i feel like we eat it the perfect amount sometimes we have one guy who cooks for us and I don't really like it boiled that much, and he boils it a lot. But, I mean, I never get too sick of it. And by the time I come home, I maybe will pass on the salmon. But uh, (laughs) I really do love it. Yeah, salmon's really the only fish that I actually enjoy. Uh, My fiancé likes to get me a bunch of other fish, but salmon's the way to go. Um, So to talk about your other job, medical marijuana farmer. What does that type of job entail? And now that it's legal in Washington... It just sounds like that's a pretty normal job in Washington. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's crazy to have seen it all happen, but I swear I know more people that that's their job than a normal job anymore. Yeah, basically, I work for my family, not my direct family, but my cousins. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's actually in Northern California, and they're on a medical system. And uh, just, you know, do your paperwork, and you're allowed to grow a certain amount, and really nice i i actually personally don't consume marijuana that much at all so it's not something that i do out of necessity it's another great job where you work really hard and it's the kind of job where if you go there for a month and you work super hard you can make good money but a lot of people don't have the discipline i kind of have the discipline from fishing so i just work super hard it's just one of those things that enables me to live the life that i do and just work super hard for that month and and then go home when i'm ready Great. Yeah. I was going to say medical marijuana farming has to be a lot more lucrative than other forms of farming. I actually grew up on a farm, but we had mostly hay and llamas, which are probably a lot less profitable. Actually, I think llamas run a loss, at least in our (laughs) business. (laughs) But anyway, so so you make this money doing the fishing and and the farming, and then you get to go play. So you've worked hard and now it's time to play hard. Tell us about how you really started getting into snowboarding and when that was going to become such a huge part of your life. I didn't start snowboarding until I was 12 years old. I never skied. I didn't really grow up in a family that was about the mountains, but uh, for some reason when I was in middle school, I started skateboarding and all my friends were doing uh, the ski school bus on Fridays from middle school. And so I got into that and the first couple of years I would just go on the ski bus on Fridays for about six nights a year and so I was going six nights a year for the first couple years you know in high school we didn't want to be at school we just wanted to be at the mountain and when I graduated I went to Oregon and was just wanting to go to school and snowboard as much as I could and I actually kind of lost it all because I was in the park and kind of lost my passion for it and Mm. I actually had one winter where I didn't snowboard anymore and it just took one of my best friends telling me to move back to Stevens and and live that life and never you know once I moved back to Stevens up here in Washington is when my passion came back because I just love the backcountry so much more than being a robot in the park huh 
Yeah, and Stevens Pass, I mean, that's pretty much the best place you can go for inbounds and out-of-bounds skiing in the country. When did you actually start traveling internationally? Five years ago, I think I did my first trip to Chile. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I would say about five years ago. So I've never skied in Chile or even really in South America at all. Is it any different there than uh, here in the States? Yeah, so let's say you put, let's say you took a picture of the mountains in Chile you had that on the left side, and then you took a picture of some other mountain range. You pick which one. Would you be able to look at those mountain ranges and say, okay, that one's chilly and that one's a different place? I believe so, it's especially different from the northwest, but it's just no trees, super rocky. It's super different because their seasons are so short. They have three, maybe four-month seasons, and only two of those are really strong. The rocks are just everywhere. They're, the base never really builds up because after every storm, it's followed by super hot suns. It, the storm comes, it, it's cold, it, it snows a lot, and then the sun just pops immediately after, and it's super hot. You never really have the base that you get here because it melts so fast, and it blows away. There's no trees. There's no protection. There are some places in the south that those are my favorite that have trees and kind of hold the snow a little bit better. But most of them, once you get up high, the snow just blows around and doesn't get that deep. But once the storm comes, you have a couple days of really good riding. And then and then you kind of have to pick and choose, find the protected places or where the wind's depositing the snow. But it's definitely dangerous. Like every time I come back, my board's just destroyed. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I'll make the whole season here. And have maybe one nick on my board, and I'll take it there, and in, in one day I'll just have annihilated the base of it because it's just you have to be ready like at all times just to be like dancing off rocks catching the bottom of your board or skis. It sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that extreme feel that you never know what's going to happen? You when never you're know when you're going to run into a rock. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't particularly go there for that feeling, okay. but. Uh, you learn the thing is you learn to ride the train i don't know what you see or what it is but your robotics just kick in and if you watch my friends that are born and raised chileans they just go so fast and and they never hit rocks they just know where they are somehow they know how to read the terrain and where rocks are going to be and they just they ride so fast and don't ever hit rocks and you just look at it like wow how do they do that but they're just born and raised and something you get used to yeah, it's really funny. This whole thing reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago, Ben and I went up to Tuckerman's Ravine and they were having a big race up there, but we decided we wanted to go all the way to the summit of Mount Washington, which isn't very big. It's probably like 6,000, just over 6,000 feet. feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we put our skis on at the top and we're like, all right, we're doing this. And there's just rocks everywhere. And we were a little slow at first, but then we start picking it up and we start flying kind of at the bottom. And then there's just this wall of rocks And the only thing we could do, we couldn't stop, it was too icy, is we had to just kind of ski and then jump on the rocks to stop us. (laughs) And it just totally destroyed us. And Ben was right behind me, so he had to do the same thing. But it was not a a pleasurable experience. But then we got to the bottom and we were okay. It was a fun day. So so unlike Russell and I, you're actually really, really good at snowboarding. (laughs) (laughs) But, But seriously, I mean, you're a professional snowboarder. But it's not supporting you financially as a living. Did you ever want to pursue that lifestyle where you are a professional and a sustainable professional? 
See, the thing is, I'm so happy with how it's all happened, and it's happened so perfect. And when I got back into snowboarding after taking a year off, I told myself, do I want to try to become a professional? And I just thought to myself, oh, you're too old. There's too many good people. You're not good enough at this point. So just let it go, you know, just build your life around being able to do it for yourself and not needing anyone's financial support. The way that it all happened has put me where I am, and it's so it's so perfect. I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. I don't have to go places I don't want to go. And all the places I go, I'm so excited about going. And and then I get support from the companies. And it's all because of that decision I made of, oh, you're too old to pursue it. And now it's far surpassed anything that I ever dreamed it would become. Hmm. Where do these opportunities come from? Do you, you just kind of put yourself out there and people find you? Yeah, that's another reason why I feel like I am where I am is I I do just dream big and I just try to make it happen in any way that I can. I've done trips through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I've done trips with lots of financial support from sponsors. So that helps a lot. And yeah, basically I just come up with something I want to do or we come up with something we want to do and we just try to make it happen in any way that we can. Yeah, one of the really cool things that Russell and I saw that you did was this World Heli Challenge. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, that was super fun. Um, some friends of mine that are um, born and bred Kiwis, they've been coming to Stevens for a long, long time, over a decade. And my friend, he was saying, oh, you, you got to come to New Zealand. You got to come to New Zealand. And yeah, I went down there and just such a great event, ended up competing with some people that I've been looking up to for so long, Auntie Audi, he's a Olympian, and I got to, you know, drop in after him, and it's a skier and snowboarder contest. You basically get two days to compete. One day is extreme day, one day is freestyle day. If it's freestyle day, they want to see more tricks. Well, you get one run to go through and pat things down and kind of mm-hmm. learn where, you know, where you want to go and stuff, and we didn't get the best conditions. We got okay conditions and it was still super fun just a great event yeah it sounds like a blast i was reading up a little bit on it and pretty much every run you have to be taken up by helicopter which is pretty interesting and it makes sense it's the world heli challenge but i mean the weather is very dependent on this competition and when they don't have days where the weather is kind of working with them they can actually go down a little bit lower play golf learn to shear a sheep Oh, wow. Taste the local wines. I did not know that. And, and there's all these different activities. It just seems like the coolest place ever. Did you get to do some of those things? Yeah, and that's the coolest thing about the event. And it that's why like <laughs> I really liked it is, in my case, I became friends with everyone before competing against them. You know, we were doing all these events, hanging out, and there's a beer sponsor. So you always got beer to drink with everyone. And it's really nice because I really like getting to know someone before, like finding out, oh, they're such a good snowboarder or something. You know, it just feels so much more personal and not competitive when you're like buddies. You're like cheering for them when they're doing their run, you know, because you want them to do good because you've developed a relationship with them. So it's really unique in that way. Like you just hang out a bunch. They did river surfing and paintball, and we did a bike day where we went out on some really cool trails and it was just raining super hard and super muddy and it's all about having fun every day if whether you're in the heli or down in the city yeah i don't know why i even asked about the skiing part that sounds way more fun (laughs) but anyway so i don't snowboard i tried it one time and i said no thanks Um, mainly because 
I felt like I could do a lot more on skis. I think that you can do a lot more terrain when you're on skis versus when you're on a snowboard. And I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm pretty confident it is. Would you have a, <laughs> would you have a counter argument to that as to why snowboarding would be better than skiing? Well, my counter is that I would agree with you for <laughs> That doesn't years, sound like a counter five, to me. <laughs> five years ago, I would agree with you okay, that okay. skiing has has more opportunities than snowboarding but with the technology that there is now and splitboarding has just come so far and my splitboard weighs the exact amount that my snowboard rides hmm. and they ride just the same i can ride it on anything just the technology wasn't there five years ago and now it is and we we snowboarders have caught up and i feel like we can we can hang in in pretty much all situations the the touring equipment is insane now. There's actually my friends that they tour in hard boots on their split boards, mm. and their conversion time is so fast from being in tour mode to, to being on the board. And so I would just say that the technology's finally gotten there that we can keep up with the skiers. Nice. Do you think that the the weights are similar in the backcountry too with split boards compared to uh, some alpine touring setup? You know, I'm not really sure on that. I would I actually have no idea if a skiing touring setup's um, lighter than a snowboard touring setup, but I will say that our boots are a lot more comfortable. I was just going to say yeah. the boots are more comfortable. That would have been my counter argument. Well, that's that's why I tell Mark is because you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, true. Cool. I mean, you do have a ton of sponsors as well with your snowboarding, and this may be a little bit tricky for you, but could you recommend one piece of gear for our listeners? Yeah. There's this one piece of equipment that I basically live in. So if I had to recommend one thing, this would be it. And it's a soft shell for layering. It's super warm. It's like a sleeping bag. It's made by True Gear, and it's their Polar Shift. And it's a reversible, basically puffy, but you can wear it under your jacket. It's, it, it packs super small. It comes with a little bag and basically like a little sleeping bag. It packs into this tiny little bag. And it's really good for touring and anything where you might get sweaty. And then at the top, you know, you always cool down and then you throw it on. But I basically wear this thing every day. I live in it. And I've worn it as many days as possible. <laughs> but if I had to recommend one thing, I think it would be... Uh, True Outerwear's Polar Shift. Very nice. It sounds like something I want to wear. Although yeah. it is summer, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might not wear it as we'll much. We'll go down now. to Chile. It's fine. Right, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, for our listeners out there, True Outerwear is offering the Meister fans a very special deal that's 35% off when you use the code TRUEMEISTER. And that's true, T-R-E-W Meister. To find out more, visit the Meister Deals page on our website, mtnmeister.com. And Ian, we just have one last question for you before we let you go. You know, you seem really content with this work hard, play hard philosophy, but it may be easier said than done. What is one challenge that you faced in doing this? I think the biggest challenge that I've faced is a mental challenge. And that's been getting to where I've gotten and now this year it was a really tough year for me mentally was feeling like do I really deserve all these things that I get and there's so many good riders out there and you just surround yourself with really good riders that are doing amazing things and mentally for me this year was it was hard to 
overcome the fact, do I deserve this? Does someone deserve this more than me? You know, have I earned this? It was it was just a big mental challenge this year to, you know, get above that. There's a phrase for what you just described there. Russell and I are familiar with it. It's called the imposter syndrome, where you, you try to envision yourself doing something and being successful, and then it hits you and you're like, why me? Like, why should I be here? That is not an uncommon feeling, so... I think that you should embrace it. You're doing great things. Yeah, thanks. I've been reading some books that have been helping me get over it, so uh, I think I'll be fine. Cool. Is there a specific book that it might be interesting for our listeners to check out? There is a great book that I just got from my European friend that I was just in Alaska with. He was reading this book, and I was stealing it from him. And I said that any athlete out there and I mean, basically any person, in my opinion, should read this book, and it's called The Undefeated Mind. It's on the science of constructing an indestructible self. And I haven't finished it yet, but uh, he actually just surprised me with a copy, so I'm excited to finish it. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Uh, We'll put all the different resources that you talked about on your Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. You can see more of Ian's sponsors and any other information if you want some more details. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Ian. Thanks a lot, Ian. This is awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Meister fans. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Ian Wood. Russell, if you could choose one job, farmer, fisher, or snowboarder, which would you choose? Well, like I said earlier, I really like the show Deadliest Catch, so I'm going to have to go with Fisher. All right. Good choice. Well, hey, guys, don't forget about the gear giveaway going on. And join us tomorrow on the show when we have Nick Connect. If you ever wondered how skis were manufactured, Nick is your guy. Join us next time.